Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast, a deep dive rewatch podcast, spending time with America's favorite radio station, WKRP in Cincinnati. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm his wife, Donna. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the trivia, the characters, and the details that have made WKRP one of America's favorite syndicated sitcoms for nearly 40 years. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. We've got a favorite back with us today. What are we talking about, Donna? We're talking about Never Leave Me Lucille. It aired on the 5th of March, 1979, written by Hugh Wilson and Bill Dial. The story editors were Tom Chihok, Bill Dial, Blake Hunter, and Emily Marshall. It was directed by Asad Kalata. Feeling that she's being taken for granted, Herb's wife, Lucille, kicks him out of the house and wants a divorce. This divorce affects everyone in the office. Herb needs a place to stay. Herb considers himself a free man, causing Jennifer to feel even more exposed. They all work together to convince Lucille and Herb that they should stay together. This show ranked number 15 for the week out of all primetime programs, and that was the highest weekly rating so far in the series. The position behind MASH starting to pay off, getting some nice numbers each week. Also, we can kind of notice in this episode a little bit of a change in philosophy. Hugh Wilson originally said he came to uh, Hollywood with a file folder full of radio stories, and as he got into the first season, CBS started saying, hey, you know, those radio stories are fun, but maybe you ought to do more people's stories. They were worried that it was going to be nothing but DJs tuning in WKRP, and they wanted to open things out a little bit. This is one of those more people stories that we're going to see today. Only one scene in the entire episode takes place in the studio, and we don't talk a whole lot about radio. You know, I kind of like WKRP because it wasn't a radio station, and we got to see what happens at radio stations. The worry always among the network executives, we're going to do something to alienate somebody and we're going to be too focused. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to get to, you know, to the point where somebody might not be interested. And this is a good, it's a fun episode. It, it really it is. is. It is. But, but it, I do like the radio station episodes. If you think about it, this could happen anywhere, any workplace, anywhere this show could be set. It doesn't have to be set in a radio station. Well, we start out in scene one, we're in the bullpen and it's it's all it's completely dark. Les enters. It's early in the morning and he's singing Heartbreak Hotel in the style of Elvis. And, you know, he sounds pretty good. He does. And he knows all the lyrics. Well, although it's always crowded, you still can find some room. The broken hearted lovers to cry there in the gloom. You leave me so, leave me so lonely. Leave me so lonely. I love that. There are a lot lot of verses to Heartbreak Hotel and love this song. It was recorded by Elvis, of course. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street, that Heartbreak Hotel. I'll make make you so lonely, baby. Well, I'm so lonely. I'll make you so lonely. I could die. Released January of 1956, his first big release when he made the move to RCA Victor. This song was written by Tommy Durden and a woman named Mae Boren Axton. And that name, Axton, caught me. And I did a little bit of searching, and yes, she had a son named Hoyt. That is Hoyt Axton's mom that helped write Heartbreak Hotel, and we're going to meet Hoyt later in this season. Actually, a newspaper article about the suicide of a lonely man who jumped from a hotel window was inspiration for the lyrics for this song. Axton presented the song to Presley in November of 1955, 
and Presley agreed to record it, and he did so on January 10, 1956, in a session with his band, The Blue Moon Boys. The guitarist was Chet Atkins, and the pianist, Floyd Kramer. Those are some heavyweight names on guitar and piano, and it definitely took off for Elvis. I mean, it was not hard for Elvis to get a hit at this time, but this one was spectacular. It uh, was number one for seven weeks, number one on country and western charts for 17 weeks, and it hit number three on the R&B chart. It dominated everywhere. It was Elvis's first million seller and one of the all-time best-selling singles of 1956. Well, Les is singing the song, doing a great job, and he proceeds to take off his hat, his coat, his vest. He unbuttons his shirt sleeves. <laughs> he takes off his bow tie. He unbuttons his shirt as he's singing the whole time, and he takes it off. And when he takes off his shirt, he reveals a, a tee shirt that says Screaming Eagles Fort Campbell Kentucky yeah yeah but look there on his arm and it... and now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye Newshawk Award winner Les Nessman this is the Les Nessman bandage report now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman upper left arm this has been a look at the bandage placement for silver sow and copper cob award-winning journalist les nessman fort campbell is a u.s army installation located right there on the kentucky tennessee border between hopkinsville kentucky and clarksville tennessee they are home to the 101st airborne the screaming eagles and the 160th Special Ops Aviation Regiment. The 101st Airborne Division is a light infantry division of the United States Army specializing in air assault operations. These are the guys, the tip of the spear, as named by Secretary of Defense Robert Gates. These guys were Operation Overlord. They gave air coverage to D-Day. D-Day, June 1944 in Normandy, France. Also, Operation Market Garden, which was the liberation of the Netherlands and its action during the Battle of the Bulge around the city of, and I know I'm going to... I believe it's Bastogne. Bastogne, Belgium. Bastogne. It looks like Bastogne. Bastogne, yes. Bastogne, Belgium. Got to get there someday. During the Vietnam War, the Screaming Eagles fought several major campaigns and battles. They were part of the Battle of Hamburger Hill in May of 1969. Most recently, the 101st Airborne Division has been deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan on several occasions. The movie from 1977, A Bridge Too Far, features the 101st Airborne. 101st is located about a four-hour drive or so from Cincinnati, so it's kind of in the neighborhood. We were thinking Les might have made a made a weekend out of it. And Maybe. Gone down to visit. Les walks over in front of Bailey's desk, he, and at the end of his song, he begins doing jumping jacks and counting loudly like a soldier would. Tell him it's so lonely I could die. Huh, one, two, three. Over on the couch to his right and behind him, we see movement. And Herb sits up. He'd been covered by a blanket. Herb? He's in a robe, but he's wearing his dress pants. Yeah, he's got the suit pants on, and Mm -hmm. he's been sacked out there. Now, I have adjusted my opinion of Les here with this scene. I have thought up to this point that Les came in much later in the morning. But I believe now that Les is coming in before regular hours and, you know, doing his regimen, getting prepared for the day. Les may have an earlier newscast, and then he goes out for rounds in the morning, and we've seen him coming back in around 11. I think maybe that's just the continuation of Les's day, not the start of his day after seeing this. when you say he goes out for rounds, what what do you mean? Oh, go by, you hit the police department, you hit the fire department, go to City Hall, you talk to your regulars and see what the word is is on the street, and that's how you pick up the local news. So he's probably got a regular group of contacts that he goes out and hits as a news person and gets that information and pulls it all together for his noon cast. Les is like, what are you doing here? You've never been to work this early. (laughs) And and Herb says, maybe I was out with another woman. (laughs) (laughs) And Les does his snake laugh and walks away. (laughs) Herb's kind of on a roll here. He is talking some weirdness saying he is now an eligible bachelor. Since when? Les isn't buying. He explains that he and Lucille split up and he walked out. Now, Les gets very passionate about 
Herb's relationship very quickly. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. you got a beautiful marriage, Herb. Not anymore. Herb. <laughs> He's pretty callous about this. He's really just throwing Not it aside. Not showing any feeling at all. One of these great timing things. And they, <laughs> they did this, remember, during Date with Jennifer when Herb was going to stick that memo and Art came in. Same kind yes. of deal. Here comes Bailey right in the middle of a conversation that she didn't get the front end of. She just sees Herb in his undershirt yes. and his suit pants wearing a robe and Les in his t-shirt. Now Les has stripped down to his t-shirt, yes. so these two men are having this argument about this relationship that has gone bad. Herb, it can't end like this. Look, Les, it's over, so you might as well get used to it. <laughs> How can you say a beautiful, meaningful relationship is over just like that? It wasn't beautiful. Oh, please don't say that, Herb. Look. Bailey's watching this conversation, and she's looking very confused. Until, and then there's and this And then there's line. this. Yes, yes, this one. Bless. <laughs> you cannot build a relationship on sex alone. That's when Bailey whimpers. <laughs> she whimpers and sits down at her desk and... Boom, we're into our cold open. WKRP in Cincinnati. Come back a little bit later in the morning. We now have Herb sitting at his desk. Andy has shown up, and they are talking to Herb about this and just seeing how serious he is. This is a temporary separation, isn't it? Nope. But uh, that's life. That's what people say. Herb's quoting song lyrics. He's quoting old blue eyes. That's Life is a song written by Dean Kay and Kelly Gordon. Marion Montgomery was the first to record it in 1963. And Marion, female. Yes, but the one that more people are familiar with was recorded in 1966 by Frank Sinatra on his album of the same name. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June, I said that's life. We caught a desk detail, and yeah. I really I really believe this is due <laughs> to the clarity of the Shout Factory disc. If you look on Herb's desk, just <laughs> next to his nameplate, there is a fish, and emblazoned on the side of this fish is WKRP. WKRP has swag, and this is a precursor <laughs> oh, man, love to, to the fish story. Oh, yeah. It's the, a green glass. Yeah, and I think it's a paperweight. Well, it looks a little like it, and it's kind of positioned that way on the desk. If you look very, very closely, you'll see that WKRP in white, and we later are going to meet the carp mascot for WKRP. The station calls itself the carp, and here's proof right there that uh, they've got some carp <laughs> swag. Herb's going on and on about how distraught he is. You just have to have the courage to move on and do the best you can, even though your whole life is falling apart. Yeah, as he's picking up his phone. And guess who he's going to call? <laughs> Hello, Jennifer. <laughs> guess what? I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yeah, he's all broken up. She hung up on him. She's gone. His reaction is so funny. Funny. I'm surprised she didn't just run out of the station completely. <laughs> or, or somehow reach through the phone and throttle him. Les is concerned about where Herb's going to go. Where are you asking him, where are you going to sleep? Where are you going to go? You notice Les is worried about where Herb's going to stay. Herb, not so worried about where Herb's going to stay. Herb's just having fun and sleeping on the couch. What will you do? Where will you go? I don't know. I guess I'll have to stay with you. Les likes that idea when Herb says, I guess I'll have to stay with you. Les is thinking slumber party. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> I just got this little Murphy bed. It's pretty small, but I guess we could share it. But Herb doesn't really like the idea of sharing a Murphy bed no. with Les. No. A Murphy bed in North America, it's also called a wall bed, pull-down bed. It's a bed that's hinged at one end to store vertically against the wall or inside a closet or cabinet. It's one of those flip-up beds that you can mm -hmm. lift up the end of it. And uh, I always thought, as somebody who hates to make his bed... That'd be perfect for me. And these were popular in the old sitcoms, the 1950s, like yeah. Lucille Ball or... Always or somebody getting, getting slammed up against slammed the wall. Up. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Brett Murphy bed closes up with somebody in it. And ah. if the spring were really that strong in that thing, you'd be hurting people. <laughs>
The Murphy bed, no surprise, invented by a guy named Murphy, William L. Murphy. He invented it in the 1900s, and it was one of those inventions of necessity. He had a small apartment, and at the time, he was dating a young opera singer. It was unacceptable to take a woman into your bedroom. So the man had a one-room apartment. He had to stow his bed away in order for it to be appropriate. And and then he had a parlor. What everyone knows as the Murphy bed had a precursor invented by a black woman in 1885. It was called the cabinet bed, invented by Sarah E. Good, who became the first African-American woman in the United States to get a patent on her design in 1885. Now, the Murphy as a brand name, it was really popular in the 20s. Then again, in the 70s, in the 70s, they say it was due to the recession, a lot of people living in uh, tiny apartments. And as we mentioned, the Murphy beds made great fodder for sitcoms in the 50s and 60s. Suddenly, Herb is a hot potato. He doesn't want to stay with less, but now he's asking around. Look, uh, Andy, how about you? Huh? Uh, no, my brother's in town with my mother, Herb. It's very, very crowded. I don't think Andy's quite telling the truth. <laughs> and it was here that you saw Andy grab a Grateful Dead album from the shelf. Yeah, just for a few frames. I saw Skeletons from the Closet, which was a best-of collection for the dead. It came out in 1974. This one was put out by Warner Brothers because the dead had finished off their Warner contract. They left the label, so Warner decided to go for one more cash grab and get a few more bucks out of those songs that they had in their catalog. It is a fantastic dead collection. And it's time! Herb Darling. Fashion alert. Herb is wearing a peach-colored shirt, an orange-yellowish tie with brown mustard-colored pants. He has a light tan jacket with brown suede buckle closures on each sleeve and on the pockets. And, of course, his signature white shoes. Okay, these buckle enclosures you speak of on the sleeve and the pockets... That is some weird-looking stuff. I am glad that didn't catch on in men's yeah, fashions. Yeah, they, they don't have a function. They're just no. kind of there. Boy, <laughs> they are there, and I see those getting caught on everything. I'd be ripping those off probably the first day I wore that suit. Herb is getting no sympathy from Bailey. I think Herb wants a divorce. Just let him sleep on the couch. Les has an idea. Les suggests that they draw straws, and the winner... Gets Herb. All right. I was curious about the drawing straws process. Drawing straws has a long history. It dates back to the 17th century, and it's considered evil. It's thrown in there with the casting of lots. They do it by just taking a group of straws, and it would traditionally be hay or straw broken at different lengths. Always the loser is the one who gets the short straw. The short straw is usually the person who is selected out of the process. But Les is saying that the person who draws the short straw is going to be the winner and they get Herb. As they're having this conversation, Jennifer comes running into the bullpen. Excuse me. Yeah? Did you just call me? She is terrified. Her eyes are wide with this panicked (laughs) look. You see the whites all the way around. Her eyes are so wide. And she keeps this up through the entire episode. It's it's hilarious. She's in denial. She does not want to accept this news, so she starts going around the room to each person. Bailey, (laughs) tell me this isn't true. Now, not really. Herb's right behind her. He's right behind her. A little dinner, a little wine. Over to Les. We can't have this. As long as Lucille is there, it's some protection for Jennifer. And now she's seeing that being taken away. (laughs) She no longer has that safety net. Then she is face to face with Herb. Even if you're not married, Herb, I'm not going to go out with you. Never. Never, ever. (laughs) Want to bet? Things are different, Jenny Pooh. Jenny Pooh? Jenny, she loves that. <laughs> Which causes her to have a violent little reaction. She starts a nervous tick. <laughs> and to see Lonnie Anderson doing this, the cool ice always queen. Always in control. Always in control. Jennifer is the ice queen. And to see the facade cracking so yes. quickly. Her left it, shoulder is, oh. is 
lifting the, and the eye, the, the involuntary tilted, twitch. Runs and out she's of the bullpen. Got this manic look in her eye as she runs through the doors. <laughs> you know, somebody with a knife might as well be chasing her. That's what she looks like. There's somebody coming after her. It's the Scream Queen look. <laughs> For the sake of the children. We jump into the studio. Uh, Mr. Fever, the doctor, is on the air, and he's playing a tune by Eddie Money called Rock and Roll the Place. Everybody 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 rock and roll the place. It went on to actually be the title of Eddie's Greatest Hits album, which came out in 2003. They used that name. It was uh, track five off the album Life for the Taking. And this album was released in 1979, so this was brand new. And as this song is playing, he's turning in his chair, throwing darts <laughs> at the album cover of Barry Manilow's This One's For You. All right, dear, I gotta ask, how'd you feel about this scene? Well, yeah, I was a big Barry Manilow fan big, in college. Big Barry fan. I belong to the Barry Manilow fan club. <laughs> hey, and my roommate Didn't and that. I... My Didn't room- know that. My New roommate detail. and I did. Yeah, and we got stuff in the mail all the time and, and posters on our wall in our dorm room. That was sophomore year in college. Oh, yeah. So Barry's taking it right in the schnoz <laughs> as Johnny is whipping those darts at him. This one's for you, wherever you are. Sorry, I couldn't find a good dart sound effect. Venus enters the studio asking Johnny for the money he owes him. They had made a bet, and Knicks were over the Lakers by three points. Well, uh, it's, it's going to take me a while to raise that kind of bread, man. Venus, he's got a cool pin on his lapel. It's a gold V. I've been thinking about something, especially as we see these scenes where Johnny is always broke and Venus seems to be doing very well. Johnny and Venus basically have the same job and probably because he's the morning man, Johnny would be in line to make even more money than Venus does. I'm wondering how it is Johnny is constantly broke, (laughs) never has more than a T-shirt to wear. Venus always has some cash, a phenomenal dresser. Oh, yes. Venus, obviously a better money manager than the doctor. What is Johnny spending his money on? We've seen his apartment. He's not spending it on uh, decor. No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen his clothes. Oh, he does have three ex-wives. That's true. There you go, right there. I just now thought of that. That might be it. (laughs) But yeah, he's perpetually broke, and he seems to owe everyone. As he's steward talking, here comes uh, Ms. Marlowe. And she is still in a full-on panic. Jennifer is just running through the halls now. She runs into the studio, and it dawned on both of us, we've never seen Jennifer in the studio. The guys were shocked, like she's just come into a locker room or something. Yeah, it had that look, like, the, the, the what? who's the girl in the men's locker room? Right. What's going well, on here? She's never been in here before. So she runs in, and she's not asking questions. She's making statements. Herb is getting a divorce. Yeah? We can't have that. <laughs> Excuse me. Venus has a concerned and almost terrified look. He's not sure what she might do. He's backing away. Well, neither one of them have ever seen her like this before. Yeah, and it, and Venus kind of has the idea. It's like, oh, don't make any sudden movements. Talk <laughs> softly to her. We'll, well be she okay. makes the statements, and then she runs out of the studio, turning left. <laughs> Here a comes great, a great visual so, gag. So we've got, yeah, we've got this little bit of a, right there to the left of the studio door is a window. So you can see out in the hall, and we saw Jennifer passed by that, and then just two seconds later, she passes back going the other way, and here comes Herb right behind her, and we can see Herb is combing his hair as, as he's chasing her. as he's chasing her <laughs> down the hall. So fantastic. Another one of these great visual gags. And it happened in the background, actually out in the hall, but we still got it. and It was awesome. Venus is still asking Johnny for his money. And Johnny tries to get him to bet on another game, Double or Nothing. Yeah, Double or Nothing is the inveterate gambler's kick it down the street approach to paying a debt. It gets me out of paying you today. I'm probably still going to have to pay you tomorrow, but at least I don't have to pay you today. Well, Venus is not buying it. No. Is there a sign on me that says dummy? Where is it on my back? And while they're discussing this, Les enters. Les is holding out a hat, <laughs> and he walks up to Venus. Don't you white people have any money at all? <laughs> I love it. <that. laughs> 
And he tosses a quarter into the hat. <laughs> and Johnny grabs it right up. What is that, a quarter? <laughs> and Les has the straws in his hat, I guess. He's going around having everybody draw the straws. So Les explains about drawing straws. The winner gets Herb. Winner? Johnny, winner, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that definition of what you're getting there, whether you're winning or losing, they're a little unsure on, but yeah, you're going to get Herb. This is not computing with Venus. You mean like have Herb come into your home and stay there and not go away? And, and not yes, go away. The gears are stripping in <laughs> Venus's head. He can't comprehend this situation, being stuck right. with Herb. <laughs> And Venus says he wouldn't even rent Herb a room. Johnny's got his price, though. You know, I would. You would? Sure, for 15 bucks a day. Johnny's got his debt covered if he can get Herb in there for one night at 15 bucks. Do you remember the Super 8s and the Motel 6s yes. back at that time? That The reason they were named that is you could get a single yes. bed for a night for 6 bucks six, or 8, eight bucks. bucks. So at 15 bucks, I think Johnny might be a little pricey. He'd be able to pay Venus back. Though. Oh, yeah, he would. But I think that's a little high for what Johnny has to offer. Well, Les gets on to Johnny and he says, come on, you guys. Herb and Lucille have been married for 12 years. They have two little children. 10 bucks. <laughs> they have a beautiful home, a beautiful relationship, and now all that's in ashes. And you want to make money from their misery? No. I thought not. I'll go tell Herb. Les. You're a beautiful human being, Johnny. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was pretty slick. Yes. Les drew him right in there and then just closed it and ran. He's so excited. He can't wait to go tell Herb. <laughs> Venus is staring at Venus Johnny. Is, Venus has this look of, what are you thinking? And Johnny picks up on it. What are you staring at? Your dummy sign's on a little crooked. And when Venus said that, when he said, your dummy sign is a little crooked, <laughs> I busted up laughing. We used to say that to each other all the time in high school. And then Bill Ingvall came along years later and replaced that with, here's your sign. That's the dummy sign updated. For just a brief second, I caught the J and then the G-E-I, and I knew it had to be the J. Giles Band. It was the 1978 album Sanctuary. Not a big one for for Jake Giles, they did have one last kiss. Just one last kiss before I walk out the door. I'm gonna hold you tighter than I ever did before. Yeah, I don't remember it either, but yeah, that, was, yeah. that was the single off of it, uh, the Jake Giles Band poster there. You just see it to Venus's right just for a brief blast. We also see on the door of the studio a Black Sabbath, the 10-year war poster. This isn't really a poster, but it's a cover to a brochure they issued in the 70s. And I didn't dig into this too deeply, but what it looks like is this was a booklet that they issued as part of a box set. And it was a booklet that was a collection of press clippings and photos. And it's got this drawn kind of cartoonish cover, which for Black Sabbath is very out of the way for them. You don't normally associate cartoon with Black Sabbath. But across the bottom, it's got this tagline. It says, more good press than most, more bad press than any. <laughs> and then to the right of that Black Sabbath poster, we saw a little cutout, and I'm like, what is that? The thing with the giant head. Yeah, well, it was Mr. Red, the first mascot of the Cincinnati Reds baseball team. And this is a weird-looking thing. I've always thought Mr. Red is a weird-looking thing. He's a humanoid figure dressed <laughs> in a red uniform, and instead of a head, he's got a gigantic, oversized baseball. <laughs> it's it's huge head, and he, in this cutout on the door, he's carrying a sign that says, we're still Reds hot. He first appeared in 1953 on the cover of the Cincinnati Red Stockings yearbook. He was created by a guy named Hank Zurich, the publicity director for the Reds, and I think maybe somebody should have checked on Hank's mental state after coming up with this. <laughs> Or what he was smoking. Yeah, something in the early <laughs> fit. He was having those jazz cigarettes. This character started showing up on the Reds player's uniform. And in 1972, they began using a person to dress in a costume of Mr. Red. I'm sorry, and Cincinnati. <laughs> But we saw pictures of this, and Mr. Red is creepy looking. This guy is running around during Ooh. games, this big baseball yeah. head thing. <laughs> and the humanoid Mr. Red with the giant head retired in 2007. And and what the stories we found said he retired in 2007. I'm wondering, was he retired? 
Get out of here, Mr. Red. We <laughs> don't want that weird humanoid thing running around anymore. We now go to Carlson's office. Carlson picks up the phone and calls Jennifer and says, can you find Herb and send him into the office, please? And boom. Insta Herb. Herb. Walks before Carlson could even hang up the phone, there's Herb walking into the office. No surprise. Herb was out hanging around Jenny Pooh's desk. Jenny Pooh. <laughs> <Jenny Poo. laughs> so Art's heard word about what happened with Lucille and, and Herb. Les told him all about I just wanted to say how darn sorry I am, how painful I know this must be for you, and that you can't stay at my house. Art also seeing the hot potato problem with Herb. Somebody's going to wind up getting him. Art's making sure he's not it. Les already got Johnny locked in, so now Herb knows that Johnny agreed, I guess, after that situation in the uh, control room. It's okay, big guy, because I'm staying with Johnny. Johnny uh, is sticking with it. Well, how could he after, you know, Les was like, you're a great guy, Johnny, really great. <laughs> I got to tell you, when Art does this line where he runs down, and it and it's that rule of three in comedy where you list three things, but his timing and delivery on that is just so awesome. I just wanted to say how darn sorry I am, how painful I know this must be for you and that you can't stay at my house. Carlson continues to talk about the remodeling that they're having done just <laughs> to make sure he gets that point across and, and it might take not, several months they're not starting until tomorrow but when they do they're gonna <laughs> just they're gonna tear the whole room right. down as they're having this conversation, they move out into the lobby, and they are standing by Jennifer's desk, and Art keeps going, I'm really sorry, but I hope you understand. The way I see it, we're just going to tear down the whole darn thing. And the horror show continues for Jennifer. <laughs> well, I'm getting my own place in a couple of nights. You know, It'll have wall-to-wall shag carpeting. Several fireplaces and lots of mirrors. Oh, Jennifer has her head. She's holding her head with one hand. She's looking down so defeated. You know, shag carpeting is so associated with the 70s, but I was curious about the origins of shag carpeting, so we did a little digging and found out that shag carpeting actually dates back to ancient Greece. Alexander the Great was a fan of shag rugs, only at that time they called them flucati. And what they were were very deep pile, hand-woven goat hair rugs that the king and all of the courtiers would dig their feet <laughs> down into to keep them warm. Oh. There were just these very thick rugs hand-woven from goat hair. Well, shag became the craze in the 60s and 70s, and in part because of the Brady Bunch. Those style setters, the Bradys, yes, gave everybody a look at the possibilities of shag. <laughs> I had lime green shag carpeting Didn't in my everyone. bedroom. Didn't everyone? It was everywhere. Yes. They tried to cover the country in lime green shag somewhere in the mid 70s. And we even had to rake it. Yes. So we had a, there was a special <laughs> rake that you had because it gets smooshed down. And so if, I would rake my room. Well, and also if you had a deep enough pile shag, you would actually find stuff. You would rake stuff up it that was, was buried down in the pile. It was. Oh gosh, it was so hard to run the vacuum on oh, that shag yeah. because I I had the I had the tall shag. I mean, it was something. I remember pulling <laughs> pulling up pieces of dog food and one time a single block Lego I raked up <laughs> out of the shag, the little tiny one, you know, I raked one of those up out of our shag. Lucille walks into the lobby and Jennifer is so happy to see her. Lucille. She sounds so relieved. And so are we. So oh, are we. Lucille. We're so happy to see her too. Hello, Jennifer. When Lucille says hello, Jennifer, just those two words. It's just so great. Jennifer is looking at Lucille. Her eyes are bugging out of her head and she says, let's meet later for drinks and, and we can talk, okay? Jennifer is just a couple of clicks away from needing a straitjacket. She is really <laughs> on the edge. What you are doing is a terrible thing. I don't know how she keeps her eyes mm, that wide. Wow, but I'm loving the performance. It is great. Just seeing Jennifer panic like this is hilarious. So when she asked Lucille to meet her later for drinks, Lucille says, Surely. We talked about this, surely. Herb says, surely, yeah, a lot. And it was something when she said it, you kind of stopped and you said, doesn't Herb say it all the time? And yes, Herb says that. And once you notice it, he says it a lot. Surely, surely. You looked it up. <laughs> Let's go ahead and discuss that now. Okay, um, well, I was curious about Shirley. Now, I couldn't really find Shirley, but I did find references to using sure as an affirmative. Mm -hmm. And in the Urban Dictionary, this is where I went for this research, they say that using sure in the affirmative is rude because it can be 
vague. They also say that sure has different meanings when used by a woman versus when used by a man. Now, when used by a woman, sure really means probably not. And I want to conduct an experiment here real quickly. <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to respond to it sure. Okay? Okay. You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Hey, babe, I was thinking maybe this Saturday afternoon, how about we watch the original trilogy of Star Wars? What do you say? Sure. Now, you see, she doesn't mean that at all. <laughs> that really does not mean yes. She gave me a sure, but it really means probably not. Now, when a guy says sure, uh -huh. he means yes. There's no question he might as well have said yes with an exclamation point. When a guy says sure, he means it. But a woman will misinterpret it because of the way a woman uses it. So now you ask me a question, and I'm going to ask me something that, you know, okay. I'm really into, um, and I'm going to respond with a sure. Babe, I don't feel like cooking tonight. What do you say we order pizza? Sure. And you see, I mean that 100%. I am okay. on the pizza train. <laughs> but you, because being a woman and using sure, you know, you may take that as, oh, are you sure you want pizza? Yes, I want pizza. I really, really want pizza. But because I use sure, there's the possibility you misunderstood. And same oh. with me. When you say sure, I think you really want to watch Star Wars. Okay, so I'm looking forward to a, that. a grant or something to I do. To study, to study this, I've got, I've got something from the federal government coming in. <laughs> and I get to hire a staff and everything. Surely. Lucille says hello to Mr. Carlson and then to Herb. And Jennifer tries to leave, but Lucille wants her to stay and grabs her. This is a great visual that they do there in the lobby. Mm -hmm. And that choreography is so much fun. Herb's second is Art. He's his backup man. And Lucille's second now becomes Jennifer. She's standing to, to her side. Don't and leave us. Don't leave us. Both Art and Jennifer are trying to get away from this very uncomfortable situation. And each time one of them tries to leave, <laughs> either Herb or Lucille nabs them and drags them back in. But then and sometimes Lucille tries to leave and Jennifer will grab her and push her back towards Herb. So it's a great, fun choreography. Well, I'm sure you two would like to be alone. Oh, no, stay. I think I'll just step right in here. <laughs> Don't go. It's very awkward and tense in the lobby. It and gets down to just the two of them standing there kind of looking down and not talking to each other. So Jennifer says, Somebody say something. <laughs> <clears throat> we're, we're remodeling the guest room. Uh, well, Carlson, that's uh, making sure he gets that in there. He's, want, he's wanting to make sure we understand the house is a mess. Lucille says that she cried last night. Oh, good. <laughs> Jennifer, at first, when she hears Lucille cried, is thinking, oh, good. She misses Herb. She wants him back. I can get out of this, this hell I'm in now. But no. I thought about our life together and, and what's been happening to us and... Uh, and I thought, uh, yes. I thought, so what? So what? Yeah, so what? She goes ballistic. She and, and Jennifer's quickly trying to usher her out of the lobby and into the hall. I mean, just who is this creep I've been cooking for and staying It's like a raging Muppet when Edie McClurg goes off on you. She is, wow. And the crowd is like, woo, and they're clapping like, go, Lucille, go. So, so Jennifer physically pushes her out the door, and we're left with Art and Herb standing there in front of the file cabinets in the lobby. Art puts both hands down in his front pockets, raises up on the balls of his feet. And she seems to be bearing up pretty well. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love art. <laughs> and art and herb together, man. You can't, you can't miss. So what? Well, now we get to see Johnny's apartment. Yes, the Fiva pad. And this is what you would call an efficiency apartment. It's one room, not even that big of a room. I've also heard him called an SRO for single room occupancy. But everything is in one room except the bathroom. And we see some posters. We um, got a poster watch in Johnny's apartment. Mm -hmm. Almost as much fun as the poster watch in Andy's office. Johnny's apartment really looks like a college guy's apartment. It does. It looks like college dorm. He's got a crate there sitting in front of the uh, record player, and he's got his records stacked up against the counter there at the kitchen. And yeah, it, it really looks like a dorm room. We see a poster of Joan Baez and Bob Dylan 
from a 1965 concert tour. It's a drawn poster kind of to the right of the door coming into Johnny's apartment. I looked this one up. The origin of it is a little vague, but this was a poster for a concert tour that Bob Dylan and Joan Baez did in 1965. They were collaborators and at the time a couple. After this tour, they broke up. It would not be until 1975 that they got back together as collaborators. And during that tour, Martin Scorsese would create the film The Rolling Thunder Review. So this poster was then featured in the Rolling Thunder Review movie. And I'm sure that's why Johnny's got it on his wall. Just let me love you tonight. door is a, a poster of, well, a nice young man, yes. Lenny Bruce. Sweet young gentleman. Leonard Alfred Schneider was his name, and he went by Lenny Bruce. This poster is from June 24th and 25th, 1966, at the Fillmore in San Francisco. This is a poster of some fame and notoriety. Lenny Bruce died of a drug overdose about a week later after this concert. This was the last performance he did. He did this at the famed Fillmore in San Francisco. So once again, this is a Howard Hessman connection. Uh, And Lenny Bruce was a crusader for free speech, and he did this through the use of profanity on stage. He really was an inspiration for a lot of modern day and 70s and 80s comedians. In the 1950s, he teamed up with Buddy Hackett and they called themselves the Not Ready for Primetime Players. Hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. and uh, about 20 years later, Saturday Night Live dubbed their troupe the Not Ready for Primetime Players and I found a few places where they said that that was an homage to Lenny Bruce. We also see that Johnny has some Chinese style decorations. He's got paper lanterns, paper butterflies, wing and one of those like the little umbrellas you get in your drink only it's life-size yes all over his apartment it's an interesting decoration style and i'm wondering how much of it might have been left there by the previous occupant (laughs) and on the wall to our left a picture of janice joplin yeah janice kind of shows up all over the place when johnny's around doesn't she there's a knock on the door and johnny opens it to let travis enter so where's her he's not buying dip 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 Only dip. Just dip. Just dip. So Travis is like, hey, how's it going? It's been really great having Herb here the last two nights. Tomorrow night, you get him. Oh, no, 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 I don't. Oh, yes, you do. No, no, no. Travis doesn't want him. And not only that, my friend, but you get the bullfighter on real black velvet. (laughs) You get the battery-powered go-go dancing novelty sensation. You get the color-coordinated reprocessed styrofoam clothing. And as a bonus... You get the slides. Herb Herb comes as a package. And we find out that Herb likes to take pictures of his car. And make slides out of them. If you don't remember slides, slides were what you did with film, only you made it so that you could shine a light through them and project them on screens and walls. That's what's going on with the slides. I remember walking into classrooms and the teacher would have that little circular slide thing ready to go. And I knew that was, okay, we're going to just kind of zone out this period (laughs) it was it was kind of like what we used to do before powerpoint if you can imagine each slide was a new page in powerpoint that's kind of what it was click click yeah click click (laughs) (laughs) this is all part of the herb package herb enters he's got his dip He's all excited about the big night with all the single guys. And then he takes off his coat, and it's It's time! Herb Darling, fashion alert. Herb's wearing powder blue pants with a checked jacket that is two shades of blue, a blue bandana thingy tied around his neck, blue patterned shirt. Now, when you say patterned, Oh, it it is frighteningly patterned. Frighteningly patterned. And it's unbuttoned low enough to show his chest hair. Okay, this fashion alert is so striking. And the crowd was laughing. Oh, wow. The audience. It it just like hit in the face. And he has dark socks 
with his white shoes. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> well, Travis, while while other things are going on, Travis starts looking at the holding the slides up yeah, to the he's, light. He's checking he's them out. He's checking them out. I think he's formulating a plan. And if you don't remember being able to do that, you could hold those up and look through them and see the picture of what was on them. So that's like that's what Andy was doing. Almost. And he's looking at them and then putting them back in the projector in a certain order. Yeah, he's stacking the deck a little bit as Herb is looking for the pina colada mix. Come on, Johnny. You got to have pina colada mix. <laughs> hey, uh, Johnny, we have any pina colada mix? Yeah, we do, Herb. There's a five-gallon drum under the sink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Herb's got to be so easy to live with. <laughs> well, and to complete the group, Venus and Les show up. Oh, it's a guy's night. Hey, sorry I'm late. Just got off the air. Go. Hey, guys. Herb yells, hey, to him, and he flashes Venus the... The closed fist black power sign. Yes, that was a big deal in the 70s. The black power <laughs> sign was quite common. You saw that a lot, but not from a guy like Herb. No. And Venus kind of looks at him and then he gives Johnny the look. <laughs> and he says, okay, what's happening? He wants to go to a place called the King Kong Lounge. You go away from here. I'd like to. All right. <laughs> you go away from here is the best response possible. Best possible response to being told you're going to a place called the King Kong Lounge. Oh, that just sounds oh, so sleazy, oh, doesn't it? it sounds horrible. Every guy there is going to be dressed like Herb. There is going to be such a thick haze of brute cologne in that room. It will make your eyes water. Okay, so Herb comes away from the little kitchen area, and he offers dip to Venus Just and then to Les. Dip. Les says, do you have any chips? <laughs> what do you want, the world? <laughs> Herb sticks his finger in the dip and then puts it in his mouth and eats it. And we're, <laughs> I went, every time he did that, I went, dip is not a standalone dish. You oh, don't serve it on its Herb own. With Herb it is. No. Just grab a spoon and take it <laughs> You need a spoon. Give him a spoon. <laughs> well, Herb's ready to hit the road and have this exciting night yeah, out with King all the bachelors. Kong lounge. <laughs> but he said, you know, first we're going to have drinks and we'll eat some dip and then we'll go out. <laughs> we're going to have beers and dip. He's he's taking the beer beer cans out of that plastic pack rings the six pack the ring. six pack ring yeah and you, handing the beers around to people and then he just tosses the ring onto the floor <laughs> and johnny has a bit of pride in his place he looks at it kind of gestures at it picks it up travis decides that uh, maybe they ought to just all sit down and relax for a bit and somebody says they're gonna rap we'll all sit down we'll just sort of uh rap <laughs> rap good word <laughs> But I love it when they all sit down and you hear them open their their beer. Yes. Johnny looks at, at uh, Herb and he goes, listen, being single stinks. You should just go on back to Lucille. And Herb starts to get upset. Well, Johnny, he yeah. jumps a little too far. I mean, Andy's trying to be subtle. Venus is trying to be subtle. Johnny wants Herb out of there. So he kind of gets obvious, and it makes Herb nervous. Being single stinks. Why don't you just go back to Lucille tonight? Pack your bags, what, take wait, your hula so Travis tries to get control. Hey, we're just rapping. Yeah, everybody's cool. We're just rapping. So they start going through the life of the swinging bachelor in Cincinnati. Herb's hoping that he's going to hear some really cool stories about what these guys do being well, single guys. Venus occasionally gets crazy. Yeah, but sometimes when I'm really feeling crazy, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I go out and pick up a uh -huh. chili dog. The best part of that is Herb's, mm, when he says... You know what I mean when I go out and pick up a... Oh. Yeah, Herb's ready for something there. And, and then he gets around to Les, and no surprise, Les, a reader. His favorite author is... Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Herb. I love, I love her, Herb's <laughs> response. Is one of those, if there are no follow-up questions, I will say this. But if you say anything about him, I'm stuck. Yeah, he's good. Okay, so dear who was Antoine de Saint-Exupéry? He was born in 1900. He was a French aviator writer, poet, and author. He documented his adventures as a pilot in works such as The Aviator, Wind, Sand, and Stars, and The Little Prince. Okay, I can't get a break here. We have Doug Winner. <laughs> 
with the Italian accent flying a plane, and now we've got the guy with the French accent flying the plane. (laughs) The Little Prince is a poetic and mystical tale of a pilot stranded in the desert and his conversation with a young prince from another planet. It is considered one of the greatest books in the 20th century and is one of the best-selling books of all time, becoming the subject of numerous adaptations. And like we said, he was an aviator, and in 1935, while trying to break the airspeed between Paris and Saigon, his plane crashed in the Sahara Desert, and he and his co-pilot wandered around for days in the desert, nearly dying of exposure and dehydration, before being rescued by a wandering Bedouin. Wow. (laughs) What an adventure. This guy did it all, and man, he did not mess around. You don't just fly a plane. You break airspeed records. It did get him in trouble uh, on July 31st of 1944. He left Corsica, and he was out on a reconnaissance mission over occupied France, He never returned from the mission. This would have been during World War II. Neither he nor his plane was found, and he was determined to have been killed in action. That is Les's favorite author. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Well, Herb, he asked Andy, well, what do you do as a single guy? Well, I work, I go home, listen to all the music, and then uh, just go to sleep. Herb thinks these guys are somehow missing out. He was expecting more. He was wanting some action. He was wanting some good stories. Well, and Herb's saying, you know, you got a town full of chicks out there, but Johnny's saying... Yeah, it's hard to find one you like. And then Les speaks <laughs> up. One night stands get a little old after a while, Herb. That line coming from Les is great, but what makes it even better is the look that Vina shoots Les when he says that. Oh, man, his face when Les says that. So Johnny goes kind of into this. Gradually, uh, almost imperceptibly, you uh, find yourself really thinking about politics, (laughs) self-hypnosis. Johnny's just fading away. Bring him back there. But Herb is wanting to get these guys uh, going. He thinks that they're trying to pull something on him. He's a little suspicious of this act, but I really don't think they necessarily are. I think they're maybe pointing out, you know, the the slower side of things, but I don't think there really is too much of a fast side. Well, Travis suggests that they look at some of his slides before they head out. Let's say we take a look at your slides. Oh, man. No, come on. I hear you're quite a photographer. I am. Well, good. Let's go. Let's look at the slides. Are you crazy? I would like to see Herb's car. Yeah, Andy stacked the deck. He's got the slideshow ready to uh, pull at the heartstrings. So they turn off all the lights and start flipping through the slides. Now, this is, a, this is a shot of me at Disneyland. Now, the other guy is Goofy. You know? Goofy created by Walt Disney in 1932, but he was not known first as Goofy. He was originally called Dippy Dog. I like that. Dippy, Dippy Dog. Dog. And they D-A-W-G. spelled it. Yeah, D-A-W-G. Guy named Pinto Kolvig was the one who originated the Goofy voice and created it. He did that voice from 1932 until 1967. That's a long time. Long run is Goofy. (laughs) I love how we discover important and useful information in our research for this podcast. You never know when you might need this. Never know what you're going to find. And this is the favorite thing for me that we found in this episode Goofy's full name is G.G. These are initials. G.G. Then in quotes, Goofy is his nickname, and his last name is Goof. Yes, he is of the family Goof, and his name is G.G. Goofy Goof. And in the 50s, he had a spouse. Who was, kid you not, Mrs. Goof. What happened to her? I don't know. (laughs) She just... You just she, don't see her anymore. She and... pulled a Lucille. <laughs> Something wrong here. Well, after several pictures of his car, there is a slide of a kitchenette from a motel. They mention the Formica countertops in the kitchenette. Well, you throw something like that out, we're going to go look it up. (laughs) Formica is a brand name. It is a Cincinnati product through and through. Formica was invented in 1912, and the very first sheet of Formica rolled off the presses in 1914 right there in Cincinnati, Ohio. The Formica Corporation was headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio from 1913 
to present. Go for Micah. I think that's neat how Hugh Wilson kind of just slipped that in there. Yeah, nobody pointed at it. Nobody put a big light on it. It was just slipped in there for Micah. And we caught it. Hometown proud. Then a slide of Herb's kids comes up. Andy. Bunny and Herb Jr. I'll be darned. Herb Jr. wears white shoes, too. (laughs) You know what we're seeing here? We're seeing real Herb. He puts his facade away. away. And yes, the real Herb, you're seeing... Caring caring Herb, family man Herb, dad Herb. You never see this. No. Nice pool. Yeah, you know it takes about 30 minutes to blow one of those things up. (laughs) Yeah, he says it takes 30 minutes to blow it up, but it's worth every minute. He is so proud of it. Yeah. He'd do it for his kids. And Andy with the final... Ba-bam. Aw, oh, nice family, huh? Yeah. Lucille and the birthday cake. The party doll. Yeah. Right on top says there, happy birthday, Big Herb. My son and I have the same name, so I'm Big Herb and he's Little Herb. Happy birthday, Big Herb. <laughs> Herb is welling up. Herb is welling yeah. up. He's He's got a heart after all. He's getting teary-eyed and he stops the slideshow. That's enough. Now, this is a bit gutsy from a TV production standpoint. The entire group is sitting there in the dark. We can't see anyone. And we hear, I think it's Andy says, Lights! No, no lights. Just for a second, okay? Sure. And he starts talking about how he tried to call Lucille. She wasn't home. It's really strange, I mean. Lucille not being home. She's she's always been there before, you know. And having those things in your life that you count on not be there, suddenly that's hitting her. He has taken her for granted for so long. Oh, she's always there. She'll be there. Well, Andy knows where she is. Something wrong here. In this next scene, this came about from actual events. This scene is going to be a constant deluge of drinks. Ripped from the headlines. Hugh Wilson said he actually went out to drinks with Lonnie Anderson and had a similar situation happen. It was not quite to the extent. He is <laughs> he is over-amping it for our amusement, but this happened while he was out with Lonnie Anderson. Here we are with Jennifer and Lucille. They're at a bar, and Jennifer is trying to get Lucille to talk about Herb and is asking her, what do you find about him that's so that's that's wonderful? The topic that Lucille would rather not talk about tonight is Herb. She wants to talk about everything else. Yeah, Jennifer's not having any luck at all. It kind of looks like they're in the cricket, do you think? I think, yeah, the same place they were for the goodbye dinner. For yeah, Johnny. for Johnny's goodbye dinner. It has that look to it. And we've got a gentleman uh, who is bringing drinks to the table that they didn't order. Men keep sending drinks over. And the waiter, who is played by Jim Begg, is telling him this is from the bald guy and this is from the short guy with the hat or whatever. These are from the gentleman at the end of the bar. Well, bless his little heart. Uh-huh. The descriptions get better and better every time he delivers a set of drinks. Short man in half. Jim is doing some awesome work. He was born in 1938, professional actor with 47 credits on his IMDb filmography. Uh, Jim, a lot of times picking up the roles, waiter, postman, shopkeeper, Tourist. He also did some production work. He was a producer. He had 19 credits as a producer, known for Death Wish 2 in 1982, Village of the Giants in 1965, and The Ghost and Mr. Chicken in 1966. And Jim passed away in 2008 at the age of 69. Having a lot of fun, though, delivering drinks to the ladies. And Lucille's getting all excited about these (laughs) drinks coming to the table. Jennifer has experience with this. She knows you don't wave. You don't make eye contact. Lucille's wanting to go over and thank them. Yeah, and Jennifer is like, (laughs) don't encourage them. Lucille tells her about the pottery class that she's been taking. And the instructor, Rex. Sometimes... Rex takes off his shirt while he's firing up his kiln. <laughs> Fire up that kiln, Rex. She, she does a fanning move with her hand when she talks about Rex that just heightens it. It makes it even funnier. When she's talking about him taking that shirt off, she does a little fanning motion that's great. Bald man with scar. <laughs> gentlemen. Woman dressed as man. The drinks keep 
coming from men more in the bar. More and more. And every Lucille one of them waves. is different. Oh, and she's <laughs> waving and hollering at him, thanking I, them for the drinks. Every time one shows up, Jennifer sniffs it. I'm not sure why, but she picks them all up I don't and sniffs know. them. I don't know why she does that. Jennifer tries to keep her on track. Let, let's talk more about Herb. You like Herb, don't you? Let's just be honest with one another. I know that there is something going on between you and her. Jennifer can't handle this. On top of everything else, to be accused of having something going on with Herb. There's not. I'm sorry. I'm just a little upset. We're all a little upset. We love you, Lucille. We love Herb. And we want everything to be just the way it was before. Everything. It'll never be the same. Why not? <laughs> she is about to blow a gas. It's slipping. It is getting bad. And now we hear how Lucille really feels about Herb. You see, Herb says that I'm a wonderful homemaker and a wonderful mother, a wonderful cook. But I don't think that he thinks about me, you know, as a woman, just a woman. She's being taken for granted. And still more drinks, only this time... Woman dressed as man. (laughs) And guy who says he's Big Herb. Herb really stands out in that blue outfit in the bar. Herb approaches their table and says... Hi, gorgeous. Hi, Herb. (laughs) Both of them responding back at the same time. Yes, and Lucille does shoot Jennifer a look after she says that. Jennifer, I'm sorry. Herb sits down and he says that he's decided to come back home. When, then Lucille blurts something out that all of us about hit the floor. I've been unfaithful to you. But Jennifer has to get out of there. Check! <laughs> I think she just said that because she thinks Herb has been unfaithful to her. She does. Haven't you been unfaithful to me? No. Never. I mean, I swear. He uses the Boy Scout sign. No, he I swears, swear. He I, swears I have with, not. Yes, he swears with the Boy Scout sign. And then he leans to Jennifer. Never tell that to anyone. <laughs> uh, but then we get a little more from Lucille. Well, not in body, but in spirit. Oh, thank God. I had impure thoughts at the kiln. <laughs> Boy, things have been getting hot around the kiln. Herb wants to just take Lucille home and and just talk. Let's just go home and talk. But Lucille tells him she had dinner plans and dancing. I didn't really catch this earlier. I mean, I heard her talking about Rex at the kiln, but she has an evening plan to go out with Rex, I believe. When Herb hears this, dinner and dancing... Look, I can dance. I can eat. You've seen me eat. <laughs> I can eat, honey. Well, Lucille tells him what she really wants. I would just appreciate your attention, Herb. You've got it. I would like it to be... Like we were dating again. She's got to make a call. Lucille has to let Rex know that uh, <laughs> no plans for this evening. I was shocked. Well, I'd better call Rex and tell him to keep his shirt on. <laughs> that Lucille actually did have a date set up with Rex. Yes. All right. Now, those two leave. Jennifer is now alone at the table. And here comes the waiter with more drinks. Little guy with bow tie. <laughs> tall black man. Cowboy and longshoreman. All right, now, I would like to uh, share with you a personal recollection we'll about... back in time. Back to, back to March of 1979, when that line was spoken on network TV. I was sitting in the living room of my house on Clay Street in Taylorville, Illinois, and we were just about, the waiter was coming over when my dad stepped into the living room and said something to me. I don't remember what it was, but I know he covered up that line. I did not hear a single word of it, and when he left the room was about the time that the four guys walked in and everybody was laughing. Well, my brother's sitting on the couch next to me, and I said, what'd he say? What'd he say? Russell said, I don't know. Dad was talking. So (laughs) the next day at school, I asked a friend of mine who I knew was a fan of the show, and he said, I don't know, something like cowboy, black guy, something like that. So I never heard this line. It was 15 (laughs) years later 
the year before our daughter was born, I caught this episode on a VHS tape in syndication and finally got to hear that line. So in honor of that, I'm playing it one more time. Little guy with bow tie, tall black man, cowboy, and longshoreman. <laughs> and of course, those four guys are Johnny, Andy, Venus, and Les. Yes, and they each use their pickup line on Jennifer. Oh, what's your sign? You live around here, Mama? <laughs> <laughs> Real action, sugar. <laughs> okay, so we get the three kind of guys that you figure probably eh, they might have a line. Then we get to Les. Hi, I'm extremely wealthy. Les wins. Les wins. He's no <laughs> dummy. And the other three just kind of slink away. <laughs> they know he's won. Yeah, so we freeze. Tom Wells takes us out. And what is up for next week, Donna? I want to keep my baby. A young mother with no money, no friends, and nowhere to turn leaves her baby for Johnny at the station. Mmm, Dr. Fever the nanny. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you want to watch along with us, make sure and check our show notes. And thanks for joining us. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger! <laughs> <laughs>